my name's Patricia King, and today I have an exciting message for you to hear. Stop! What are you thinking? We can't make it look like Patricia King is endorsing fighting. <clears throat> Hi, folks. Uh, Chris Rosebeer here. Just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and your financial contributions to continue to bring this important radio outreach to you as well as to the world. And unfortunately, we don't have the the major cash resources that Patricia King does, but we have you, our listener audience, to help uh, support us financially so that we can keep bringing this radio program to you and to the world. If you don't already support Fighting for the Faith financially, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And there are perks to being a crew member. Just keep listening to the program to find out what the latest perk is. And, of course, if you would like to make a one-time contribution, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, on to the program. We loved making it. We hope you enjoyed listening to it. Here we go. It's time... For another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Wednesday, April 18th, 2012. Oh, man. We're, we're going to be doing our light edition, but we've got two contestants that we need to review for our sermon review contest for the... Worst Easter Sermon of 2012. So that's what we're going to be doing today. So if everything seems you know backwards, like, you know, you'll see here in a second. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. And uh, like like I said, you know, the... What are we in, like day eight now of of what I said would be a ten-part series that we had to do? Uh, last week we did a bunch of good Easter sermons, so you can hear what it sounds like when somebody preaches Christ, crucified and raised again for you. And then this week we began our uh, 2012 edition of the Worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest. And i got to tell you, what, what I'm noticing is, is that there's sermons I'm reviewing that, from people... Um, well, let's see, from here on out, some people I've never reviewed or, well, I've only reviewed them once, but uh, today we've got two, two sermons for you to consider as you make your decision for who you're going to vote on for who delivered the worst Easter sermon of 2012. And, uh, I, oh man, tough narrowing it down, really, really tough narrowing it down. That's all I'm saying. But the, it, each and every one of these things has something that goes wrong, terribly, terribly, terribly wrong, and uh, you know for different reasons. And ultimately, Christ in Him crucified and raised again. That's not even close to the subject matter of these sermons. It's 
something completely different. So that being the case, it's our light edition. Yeah, it, I don't know how long the program's going to be. It, it's going to as long as it takes me to get through two sermons. We'll take a small break between the two. But um, you, listen, you know, I'm just saying you're going to need all of your protective uh, fighting for the faith protective gear on for these sermons. I think especially for the second one. And after yesterday's sermon on pit pitology, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, it took me about half hour. I thought I was going through the laughing revival. I mean, I, I I was thinking that Rodney Howard Brown had shown up at the Pirate Christian Radio studio and was teaching me to ha- how to have it bubble up from my belly. It was just the silliest thing I had ever seen. When they when they pulled Troy Grambling out of that pit, uh, you know, and he went ah, and oh man, it. <laughs> It was one of the cheesiest, lamest things I had ever seen, ever done. I mean, I would have preferred to have seen the midget cannon. You, you understand what I'm saying? Anyway, so we're going to just dive right in today. That means we need to do this. <sighs> na, na, na. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us from West Side Church of Christ, Searcy, uh, Arkansas. Uh, Mike Ireland presiding. The name of this Easter sermon is <clears throat> Giving Up Your Bologna Sandwich. <laughs> And this is a listener recommendation. Giving up your bologna sandwich. Oh, man. (laughs) Really? (sighs) I don't know. I I don't even know how to describe where this thing goes wrong. I think it goes wrong from, like, the first word. That's all I got to say. I... After having listened to this, I'm still not quite getting what it is that he's trying to get to. So let me kill the music. So without any further ado, here is contestant number three. We're going to do contestant three and four today on this episode of Fighting for the Faith for this year's uh, Worst Easter Sermon of 2012. Uh, Here is Mike Ireland and his Easter Sermon, Giving Up Your Bologna Sandwich. She had worked hard all day to get ready for the picnic, and she had fried chicken and baked beans and potato salad and homemade rolls and sliced tomatoes and pickles and olives and celery and two big homemade chocolate pies to top it off. That's what they spread out there next to you while you sat with your bologna sandwich. And then they said, why don't we just put it all together? No, I couldn't do that. I couldn't even think of it, you murmured in embarrassment with one eye on their chicken. Oh, come on, there's plenty of chicken, plenty of pie, plenty of everything, and we just love bologna sandwiches. We'll just put it all together. And so you did, and there you sat, eating like a king when you came like a pauper. One day it dawned on me that God had been saying just that same sort of thing to me. Why don't you take what you have and what you are, and I'll take what I have and what I am, and we'll share it together. And I began to see that when I Put what, I- what do you have that you could possibly offer to God? Really? 
You you have something God needs? I had no idea. Had and was and am and hope to be with what he is, I had stumbled on the bargain of a lifetime. I got to thinking sometimes, thinking of me sharing with God. When I think of how little I bring and how much he brings and invites me to share, I know that I should be shouting to the housetops. But I am so filled with awe and wonder that I can hardly speak. Now, that, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't the part that you bring sin? Is That's the part you bring to the picnic, right? I know that I don't have enough love or faith or grace or mercy or wisdom, but he does. He has all those things in abundance. And- you don't have enough. Uh, yeah, that's humanity's part. We just don't have enough. See, God fills in the gaps in our grace and mercy and all that other stuff. says, let's put it all together. He says, everything that I possess is available to you. Everything that I am and can be to a person, I will be to you. When I think about about it like that, it really amuses me to see somebody running along through life, hanging on to their dumb bag with that stale bologna sandwich in it, saying, God's not going to get my sandwich. No, sorry, this is mine. Did you ever see anybody like that? So, so so that's what Christianity comes to solve. It comes to solve all of the problems of those people who won't share their bologna sandwiches with God. I, I, I wow. Um, whew. <laughs> okay. Just about half starved to death yet hanging on for dear life. It's not that God needs your sandwich. The fact is you need his chicken. So the only way I can get God's chicken is if I give him my bologna. Got it. Well, go ahead. Eat your bologna sandwich as long as you can. And when you can't stand its tastelessness or drabness any longer, when you get so tired of running your own life by yourself and don't... Well, wait a second. If a bologna sandwich is tasteless and drab, why would God want any of it anyway? I mean, <laughs> what is this? Your way in figuring out all the answers with no one to help... When trying to accumulate, hold, grasp, and keep everything together. and i got to admit, though, you know, listen, the, the word faith guys, you know, the Phil Pringles and the Stephen Furtick's, I mean, they're basically telling everybody that, you know, God wants your money. This guy's saying God wants a bologna sandwich. I could make one of those. I just, <laughs> much easier to give a bologna sandwich to God than just put one in the tithing bucket as it comes by than to, you know, to give them, you know, $15,000 or something. You know what I'm saying? Own strength gets too big a load. When you begin to realize it by yourself, if you're never going to be able to fulfill your dreams, I hope you'll remember that it doesn't... Yeah, by myself, I can never fulfill my dreams unless I give God a bologna sandwich. ...have to be that way. You have been invited to something better. You have been invited to share in the very being of God. Now, what is it that your life was meant to be. Wasn't it meant to be a life free of the burden of guilt? Wasn't it meant to be a life of peace and joy and happiness? Wasn't it meant to be a life where you wake up in the morning and you know that no matter what the day gives you, that the grace and the mercy of God will be sufficient? Wasn't your life meant to be a life where you love God and He loves you and you wake up every day and you know this is another day of walking with God and saying thank you to God for what He's done? Isn't that the life you were meant to live? 
Well, yeah, and Adam and Eve kind of messed all that up, don't you think? I mean, that's where the inherited sin problem comes from. Yeah, not no one go, you know, wakes up in the morning, you know, by nature and has, you know, this happening to them. Uh, all, all of this was well destroyed because of our sinful rebellion against God. You get what I'm saying? Good. Okay, so that's the Church of Christ version of an amen. Somebody's saying yes. And by the way, this is an Easter sermon. I still have no idea where the Bible talks about bologna sandwiches or chickens. But So what happened? We settled for less. Yeah, that's the problem. We just settled for less. We settled for bologna. We settled for less. And we all do it. It started with Adam and Eve. Here, Adam and Eve, they have the perfect relationship with God. The perfect relationship with God. They live in the perfect place. And along comes Satan. And what does he do? He offers them baloney and it looks really good. And they take it and now they're out of the garden. <laughs> yeah. Sandwich sinful. You know, so this is some kind of a sandwich explanation when it comes to sin. Okay. They settled for baloney. <laughs> I'm beginning to think this sermon has a lot of that in it, by the way, baloney. Can you imagine the conversation that Adam and Eve had years later? Yeah, it, it's something along the lines of, ooh, I could have had a V8, you know. When they would think back to the way they had it in the garden and what they have now, Adam comes in from a day digging in the dirt. He's bone weary. Eve, she's been messing with the kids and doing all the things at home that a woman does, and she's tired. They look at each other. They don't even have to say anything. We settled for less. Judas walks with the Son of God. He sees him every day, hears what he has to say, sees what he does. He is right there with him. You know, this reminds me of like you know that that television game show where you know you got the three doors. And you know, and you know, you have to pick one, and then you have to decide whether or not you're going to keep what's behind that door or go for what's behind one of the other two doors. You know, are you going to settle for less? But some guys off. You see, Judas, he he just settled for less. It was thirty pieces of silver, or you know, a chicken sandwich from God. You know? And baloney. And then there's Israel. They march out of Egypt, cross the sea, cross the wilderness, and now they're camped only a short distance away from the land that flows with milk and honey. And God says, I give it to you. They took a hard look and they said, no, we're going to hang on to our baloney. Actually, what they said was, we want to go back to Egypt and get our onions and leeks and garlic to go with our baloney. Can you imagine the way they talk to each other? Forty years now of wandering in the wilderness, generation dying, how they would sit around the campfire and look at each other. Right, and the scripture says this is because of unbelief. And think about what might have been. What did they do? They settled for less. They settled for less. Why do we do that? You know, that deep longing that you have in your soul, that deep feeling. 
you see, I, you know, there may be some truth here. I mean, I feel bad for the people who are going to this church because they're settling for less. You know, they could they could have gone to a church where they hear Christ clearly, lucidly proclaimed and 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 preached from the biblical texts and hear that he died and bodily rose again for our justification and for our forgiveness and hear all of this stuff from what he's done. But see, they're settling for this baloney, you know, it was instead of, you know, going to a church where they could have, you know, something really, really satisfying. You have in your being of wanting to be whole and to be forgiven and to be at peace and to be right with the world and right with God. That longing you have to have meaning and purpose in your life. You didn't put it there. God put it there. And he's the only one who can fill it up. He's the only one who can provide. He's the only one who can take care of it. Yeah, see, there we, we need, I need God to fulfill that, that longing that I have for meaning in my life. <sighs> Okay, um, the thing I need from him is, well, pardon, reconciliation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's our problem? Our problem is we don't trust him. We don't believe he knows best. Somehow we've decided that we know better than he does. It's called the religion of Oprah. It is the idea that there is enough wisdom and enough grace and enough mercy in each of us to be our own God, that I know what's best for me. Now, the weird thing is, is at this point, he's actually doing the very thing he's preaching against because he knows better rather than preaching from the biblical texts and proclaiming Christ and him crucified and raised again for our justification on the third day. He knows better he, what, what those folks need. So he's just preaching his own ideas here. I, has he? I mean, he's made allusions to biblical stories, but he hasn't actually cracked open a biblical text yet this Easter morning. And so I can decide. I mean, nobody knows what's best for me better than I do. And so filled with this great confidence that I know what's best for me, pursuing and seeking my own kind of pleasure, determined to do my own thing in my own way, I boldly pronounce to everyone, I want baloney. Now, obviously, that's not what we actually say because we envision that we're going to get the very best stuff. When did the devil ever give you any good stuff? We envision somehow that it's all going to turn out okay. Consider, for example, the matter of marriage. Tell you what, before I do that, let me go through some numbers with you. In the United States, 19 million new cases of sexually transmitted infections reported each year, half of those between the ages of 15 and 24. The Center for Disease Control study indicated one in 14 age girls, 3.2 million. I just want to let you all know that none of these statistics actually appear in the Bible. This is well, baloney compared to the, the feast we could be having if the pastor was actually preaching the word. Are infected with a sexually transmitted infection. Survey of 30,000 teens with a national campaign to prevent teenage pregnancy concluded or found from their survey that 20%, 20% of teenagers have had sex by the time they're 15. By the time they graduate, the number goes to two-thirds. And 
in terms of walking down the aisle, only 15% of the 30,000 were virgins when they got married. Over 50% of teens will use drugs. 15% will become addicted. The U.S. Census says there are almost 3 million grandparents now raising their grandchildren as primary caregivers. Our divorce rate as far as the industrialized world is still the highest as a country of, of any such countries. Half of all marriages end in divorce. 60% of all second marriages end in divorce. You know what's funny? There's a, there is a statistic in the Bible 100% of everybody, 100% of all humans who are direct descendants of Adam and Eve are born dead in trespasses and sins, in need of a Savior and the forgiveness of sins won by Christ on the cross. Just, you know, just saying, you know, if we want to talk stats, I mean, that 100% figure, that's actually in the Bible. Uh, I would take a look at Romans chapter 3. No one seeks God. Altogether have become worthless. Their mouths are open graves. You know, no one, no one seeks God. All have become worthless. You know, read, again, read Romans chapter 3. See, I see, that's a great stat. And see, we, we can either go, for, you know, try to address the smaller stats in our preaching or we can try to go with the bigger one, 100% of everybody living. This is their natural condition. Let's go for the 100, you know. More than 15 million single parents, half of the children in America under the age of 18 live apart from one or both of their parents. Five plus million couples living together. It is the largest, fastest growing segment of the American culture. Now, what is all that? Citing statistics is easy to do. The numbers represent people. And a lot of those numbers represent children who didn't make any decision but live with the consequences of what adults decided. Uh, yeah, but again, they're even born dead in trespasses and sins. You see, it's not that, well, all these people just settled for less. It's that they're doing what sinners do by nature. You know, because scripture says we are by nature objects of God's wrath. We are by nature dead in trespasses and sins. This is found in Ephesians chapter two, by the way, if you, you know, which is a fine cross-reference to the uh, the passage that I gave you from uh, Romans chapter three. Here, here's what Paul says to the church, uh, the folks in the church in Ephesus, talking about what they were before they were Christians. He says, "And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You see, it's not that we just, you know, settled for baloney. It's that, well, we were born dead in trespasses and sins. Let's not... But the sandwich metaphor makes it sound like, oh, yeah, I just made a bad decision. You know, I could have had a chicken salad and, and here I'm eating a bologna sandwich. What was I thinking? <laughs> you came into this world dead in trespasses and sins. But the passage continues, verse 4. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by grace. 
you have been saved. And he raised us up with him in Jesus Christ so that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not your own doing. This is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So um so here we are you know halfway through now this Easter sermon about you know bologna sandwiches and we have yet to have a clear passage of scripture being preached from this is just a litany of weird ideas you know um all based on bologna which i think might be um well you know appropriate you know what does it represent? It represents settling for less. Does any of that suggest that's what God had in mind? Well, no, but we were born dead in trespasses and sins, according to the Apostle Paul. You might want to read that text. I don't think so. That's not what he envisioned for us. Could you open up the Bible and show me what he envisioned? Not at all. Now, admittedly, a lot of people do things in ignorance. Everyone doesn't know what God wants. Right, and the Bible says it. Can we get to a text, please? I, I'm hoping for that. Well, there are a lot of people out there who say, I know what the Bible says, and I know what God wants. I'll take baloney. Um, your job, pastor, is to tell us what the Bible says. So do it. Now, they didn't think they were going to take baloney, but that's what they got because they didn't follow God's way. Right, and God's way for a pastor is laid out in Scripture. The job of a pastor is to preach the Word in season and out of season. Right now, we've got lots of baloney, no chicken salad in this uh, Easter sermon. Now, my point here is really simple, really, really simple. Yeah, but it's your point. Not a point made in God's word. God only offers the best. Well, that's great. Um, can you back that up with a Bible passage? That would really be helpful. He only offers the best. He only has the best in mind. He has invited you to share in his nature. He says, I provide you everything. Boy, that's some... You got to be careful with that language there. Um, wow. Everything you need for life and everything you need for holiness, I provide that. You won't find it anywhere else. You won't find it anywhere else. Now, the illustration of marriage. God says it's this is God's idea. Bringing a man and woman together Husband departs from his parents. Why don't you read the passage so we can get some chicken salad with this bologna sermon? The two cleave together, one flesh. That's God's idea. Yep. God's the one who says, here's how a man ought to love his wife, how a woman ought to respect her husband. God says that. Great. Why don't you read those passages so that we know and can review and like you know have our brains reminded of what God said there regarding that. This is just a weird sermon all around. He also says, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And he impresses upon us the seriousness of being faithful. That's what... Yeah, it's serious, all right. Can you show us that from the Bible so that we can hear God saying it, you know? God says, 
So why is it that there are so many marriages that unravel into disappointment or even divorce? Because we all have a sinful nature? If we know what God wants for us and he tells us how that can be accomplished, what do you think the problem is? That we're sinful by nature and God's law condemns us? Um, you making it sound like, oh, well, it's just a simple solution. Just obey. Well, good luck on that one. Um, we still have a sinful nature that we have to contend with, even if we're Christians. I'm not condoning disobedience. It's just that um, here you're basically talking about stark, naked, raw obedience to the law without any concept that we in Christ are set free from slavery to sin, death, and the devil by Christ's shed blood on the cross and by our being regenerated, redeemed, purchased, bought back by what Christ has done. You, you see, you know, here you just, well, here's your problem. You just need to know what to do, so do it. All right, okay, sure, okay, yeah. Um, but um, I haven't done this perfectly. You got any good news for me then? Because, you know, you, you're just telling me to pull myself up by my bootstraps, Baron Munchausen style, you know? He settled for less. Because God's already said, this is what I want for you. Here is how you go about this. <laughs> Actually, the law doesn't tell you how. It's just the law demands. It doesn't tell you how. But we decide we know better. And it never turns out better. Right. That's all indicative of the problem of sin in the world. Now, why do we do that? Let me make three quick observations about why. <clears throat> Can you make them from the Bible, please? First of all, we get comfortable. Uh, you got a Bible passage that says, yeah, well, our problem is we just get comfortable. When you get comfortable, you don't want anything to change. I mean, this guy's just literally spinning out his own theology. This, these are all his ideas. Where, where does the Bible teach this? I mean, seriously. I mean, I'm sure he would turn around and say, you know, hey, those Roman Catholics, they believe they have a whole bunch of man-made doctrines. Yeah, right. You know, the whole idea of the sacrifice of the mass. That's not taught in the Bible. Nope, it sure ain't. Praying to the saints and to Mary, that, those things aren't taught in the Bible. That's correct. They're not. You know, he'd probably point that out. But what he's saying here, it's just as, well, MIA as any of those other Roman Catholic doctrines that he would admit that are not in the Bible. <clears throat> like a lot of counselors I discovered years ago that a lot of people who say they want things to be better don't really want things to be better because they're comfortable. And you add to that the idea of being lazy. Now, a lot of us could have made better grades in school, but we were comfortable with passing and we were lazy. We could have made a better grade than we did, but we were comfortable just with getting by and so being lazy and being... So that's the reason there's so much sin in the world is because all those people are just morally lazy. I had no idea. I mean, 
I don't need a crucified and risen savior. I, I need somebody to crack the whip and get me off of my, you know, my laurels so that I can get to work. Comfortable. We didn't do any better than we did. We settled for less than what was possible. We do the same thing spiritually. Because if you're going to, if you're going to embrace the nature of God, if you're going to live the life He called you to live, you gotta be willing to be uncomfortable and address the things that need to change and you have to give up holding on to that bologna sandwich. And then there is the, the main one, number three, which is fear. We're afraid. Here's Israel sitting on the edge of the land of promise. What's the problem? They're afraid. They're afraid. No, the Bible clearly says that they don't believe. They were killed because of unbelief. They didn't trust God. They didn't believe him. Oh, man. Again, he's just rolling his own thing. All of this on Easter Sunday. What have you done with Jesus, by the way? Did you stick him back in the tomb? I'm curious. It is a sad thing to listen to someone admit that the reason they got married is because they were afraid to be alone. They were afraid nobody would come along. They were afraid this was the only person who'd ever want them. This was the only opportunity they had. They were afraid. So they got married. How many people do you think there are that get married, that enter into a relationship because they're afraid? This might be my only chance. This might be my only one. This is as close as I'm going to get. This is as good as I'm going to get. So we settle. Now, do you think that's going to bring joy, happiness? But we do that because we're afraid. Some of us are holding on to a bologna sandwich. It's the one thing we've got. We just got, here's God saying, I want you. I want to love you. I have all this. I spread this feast for you. And we've got our bologna sandwich. And we're just determined. Why? So God says, I want to love you. But, you know, you're just selling for bologna. No, it says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It also says that God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. God isn't up in heaven sitting at a picnic bench with, you know, a, a, you know, a vat of chicken salad wanting to give it to us. <laughs> it's, it's our security. The children of Israel, they know about Egypt. It's their security. They want to go back there. Here is God's. When Jesus walked out of the tomb, what was that? Was that not an, an affirmation, a proclamation that I have come to give you life as you have never known it? Oh, uh, you got a verse that ties that theological interpretation to the empty tomb? You're going to be able to live free of the fear of death. You're going to be able to live Live without the burden of guilt. You're going to be able to yeah. live. He's getting dangerously close to the gospel here. He's kind of getting warmer here. I, 
I'm not sure he's going to get there. Your sins are forgiven and your hope is secure. Yeah, sins are forgiven, hope is secure. Well, you know what? That, I think that warrants a full-blown gospel nugget soundbite. I mean, he said it. I mean, there it was. Sins are forgiven. The, the real first appearance of anything that even remotely sounds like the biblical gospel. So there it was. There it went. I'm not sure if it'll come back. I mean, it might circle back and fly back over the field, but you'll notice that the problem here is is that this guy is just spinning out his own doctrine, his own theology. He's not doing what he's supposed to do, preach the word. Have anything to be afraid of. Isn't that what that means? Yeah, I don't know. Can you give me some Bible passages to help me see if that's what it means or what God meant that to mean? So why do we settle for less? Great question. Why are you doing it right now? You're basically settling for your own theology and your own ideas rather than a clear exposition and teaching of, well, the Word of God, focusing on Christ. I mean, this is a bologna sandwich sermon that's somehow um, trying to tell us that we need to not settle for bologna sandwiches. The irony is not lost on me. Everything you need for life, everything you need for godliness, I have. I make the promise to you that you can share in my divine nature. Man. Um, yeah, uh, wow. That, again, he said it again. That is utterly creeping me out. Um, something, something ain't right there. Now, I want you to think for, I mean, when, when did the devil ever give you anything better than baloney? You just try to find one Bible character who violated the will of God and went his own way or her own way and who came out ahead. Now, if you're going to say, well, you know, you could rob a bank and get away with it, then you've missed the point. We're talking about your soul, about your heart. We're not talking about more money, bigger houses, more cars. That's not what God promised. We're talking about filling up that emptiness inside of you so that when you look yourself in the look at yourself in the mirror, you can feel good about what you're looking at because how am I supposed to fill up the emptiness inside of me using the emptiness of this sermon? I yeah, just this is not happening. You're made in the image of God and you're endeavoring to live for him and you're an honest person and you're living a life of integrity and you're trying This is all law. Where's the gospel? To walk with God. You cannot make any deal with the devil and end up with anything other than settling for less. Imagine for a moment if the children of Israel had been miraculously transported into the land of Canaan. They said, no, God, we don't want to go in. So God says, okay, you're not going to. So rather than actually reading that biblical text so that we can see what it really says, you now want us to imagine a scenario that's different than what's in the text, and you, we haven't even read the text. <sighs> wow. 
in. You're going to wander 40 years in the wilderness. But here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pick all of you up as a nation, and I'm going to put you in the land for one hour so you can see what it would have been like to eat those grapes of those vineyards and live in those houses and enjoy that land. One hour you've got. And so he puts them all in the land of Canaan for one hour and they experience what it would have been like and then he takes them out and sends them off into their 40 years of wandering. Now, what do you think they would have talked about? They would have sat around the campfires and looked at each other and thought, we gave up that for this. We could have been in that land. We yeah, actually no. Um, boy, you know, are you familiar with the Bible? Because there were representatives of each of the twelve tribes of Israel who were sent into Israel to spy out the land, and they spent more than an hour there. They spent several days there. In fact, I think it was almost a month. You remember that song? Twelve men went to spy on Canaan, ten were bad and two were good. What did they see when they spied on Canaan? Ten were bad and two were good. Some saw giants big and tall. Some saw grapes in clusters fall. Some saw God rule over all. Ten were bad and two were good. Remember, it's it's based on a biblical text. Okay? So we know what happened. Those who didn't have faith and trust in God only saw that the land was dangerous, full of giants. There's no way we can conquer these people. God has tricked us. He's led us out here to kill us. That's what they said. And Josh and Caleb said, no, we can trust God. He's brought us this far. He's overthrown Pharaoh and his army. We can take these people because God is the one who will fight for us, right? So, I mean... Even this analogy that he's using, imagine what would happen if God just put them there. They would have said, oh, man, what are we settling for? No, the representatives that went there, they didn't have that attitude at all. They they were there for a while and thought, there's no way we can go there because they didn't believe and trust God. Saw it. It was what God said. It would have been great. Look what we've got. I've always wondered if the next generation that went in and took the land, if they didn't sometimes look to them, you know, at one another and say, you know, mom and dad really would have loved this place. But they settled for less. What if God transported you for one minute? For one minute, God picked you up from the earth and moved you into the very presence in heaven. You see the glory and the majesty and the splendor and the power of God and the sun at the right hand and hear the angels singing and you feel the peace and the joy and the love of everything God has laid out on the table before you. One minute, would you come back here and settle for baloney? Knowing what's possible, knowing what there is, knowing what he's offering, knowing what he wants to give you, would you come back here and make a deal with the devil? Uh, yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, wow. See, now we're just trying to convince people they, they need to make a decision to obey God because, you know, that's the equivalent of handing over your bologna sandwich. 
No gospel here, folks. Uh, none whatsoever. Isn't that what the resurrection says? This is real. God spreads the table. You and I bring nothing but a stale bologna sandwich. We have nothing of value to offer. And what does God say? He says, you see this table? I'm giving it to you. I'm sharing it with you. Now, is it not dumb to hold on to a bologna sandwich? I agree. It's really dumb. And this sermon is that sandwich. Um, Wow. Again, <laughs> isn't the pastor supposed to preach the word? I mean, this is just one big long litany of, well, what he thinks Christianity is without any biblical texts that say any of this stuff. Weird. Some of you this morning are holding on to some kind of habit, some kind of sin. You just don't want to let it go. How long are you going to hold on to that and refuse what God is offering? Do you not realize you're settling for less? Every part of our life where we hold on to something that is wrong, that is evil, that is sinful, every deal we make with the devil, we just settle for less because God has spread the table and says, it's for you. Why would you settle for less? We got people running around the earth holding on to their bologna sandwich and all the while God is inviting everybody to the table. Now you know this morning yourself. You know exactly what it is. It may be a problem with pornography. It may be the struggle that you have with your spouse the fact that you don't treat each other right, but you're holding on to something, you're behaving in some fashion, God is offering you something so much better and you have settled for less in your life. Now to tell you that that makes no sense, you already know that, but we have a lot of pride. We have a lot of pride. Uh, no, we got a sinful nature, and um, boy, um, is really this? You're gonna you're gonna na- call out sins. These are all sins that you're calling out. Where is the forgiveness of sins? I mean, he mentioned it ever so briefly. If you blinked, you would have missed it. If you sneezed, you wouldn't have heard it. And we're afraid. God will not make you come to the table. Well, okay. Drat. He will not remove the baloney from your hand. All he does is spread. Yet he did that on the cross, didn't he? My sin was put on Christ. and God's wrath was propitiated by his shed blood. God took my baloney and put it on Jesus, and he bled and died for it. This is an Easter sermon, you know. Wide his arms, invite you to come and say, everything that you need for life and everything you need to be holy, 
and godly. Everything you need, I have. Well, that's great. Uh, yeah, okay. And I give it to you. But you have to trust me. For what? What am I trusting him for again? I mean, you haven't preached a single biblical text. This morning, if you do, and you're ready to let go of what you've been holding on to that keeps you from enjoying the blessings of God, <sighs> there's any way we can help you, encourage you, we invite you to come while we stand and sing. So there you go. That was contestant number three, Mike Ireland from Westside Church of Christ, Searcy, Arkansas, and his Easter sermon entitled Giving Up Your Bologna Sandwich. And it turns out, irony of ironies, the entire sermon was the exact thing that he was preaching against. It was a bologna sandwich. Wow. Okay, we're going to take a break and when we come back, contestant number four. You, you're not going to want to miss this one. I'm not even tell you about it till we get back. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. You can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you are in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... Listening to Byron Christian Radio. It's Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. Let's face it, it's a visual age, and the old Bible is impractical and irrelevant, but that shouldn't hamper your spiritual growth. If you're tired of all those words like atonement, sin, justification, and all that deep stuff about God, look no further. Announcing the Massage, a new Bible version that puts you and your personal needs central. Written in a style familiar to readers of the National Enquirer, the Massage concentrates on making you feel good rather than filling your head with all those doctrines that clutter the older Bibles and disrupt unity. So if you've lost that loving feeling, pick up your copy of the Massage today. It's available at your local Jesus and Me stores and at airport terminals worldwide. your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, 
then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. We're back. Uh, warning. Um, it's impossible to preach God's word without preaching his word. If you're not preaching his word, then, well, then you're not actually preaching his word. That's just baloney. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you will see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you are signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's not a lot of money to you, but it is a lot to us because with more people to join our crew, it levels out our giving month to month so we can better budget for our expenses and plan for our growth and you know pay all of our bills, you know th- things like that. So if you're not already a member of our crew, please consider joining it. It's a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to uh, specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, moving along. Hey, oh. Hey, oh. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's uh, Easter sermon, contestant number four, is from Destiny Christian Church in Dell City, Oklahoma. Pa- uh, Pastor Lawrence Nesent, Nesent, um, I don't know how to pronounce his last Pastor Nesent presiding. Now, in case you all haven't been paying attention, the... Um, you know, we're we're on the was uh, it the hundredth anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic, and so I mean, talk about a historical event. You know, and there's a lot of people who who are really like Titanic buffs. I mean, you've heard of Civil War buffs. Well, there's Titanic buffs out there too, and so you know, since we're rec- we're recognizing the hundredth anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic, I mean, apparently Pastor Neeson couldn't think of anything better to preach about any historical events to preach about on Easter Sunday. Than well, the sinking of the Titanic. Yeah, I'm not joking. Uh, in fact, I need to set this up for you a little bit here. Um, you're not going to be able to see it, but trust me, if you were to f- look this church up, um, Destiny Christian Church, Dell City, Oklahoma, go to their Vimeo account and look at the um, video posted for Easter Sunday. The pastor is dressed up as if he's one of the officers on the Titanic. He's wearing a naval outfit. And they've got a sail up, you know, to project stuff on, and they're 
full-on recognizing the 100-year anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic. And they've got the stage decked out as if it's the 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 front, the bow of the um, the Titanic in itself. So he's preaching from the ship's bow. Now here's the deal. I mean, the sinking of the Titanic, it's a historical event. But here's the deal. The Titanic, well, it didn't come back. It's still sitting at the bottom of the Atlantic. And 2,000 years ago, Christ actually rose from the grave. You know, um... He came back, and so I just, and as far as I'm concerned, you know, in magnitude order here, you know, we're going to be talking about on Easter Sunday historical things, you know, the crucifi crucifixion and resurrection of Christ Jesus may, in my mind, just slightly edge out the sinking of the Titanic. <sighs> yeah. Anyway, <clears throat> let's now tune in to this Easter sermon entitled Titanic. Uh, complete with scenes, film clips from the uh, the movie itself, which I think they uh, they, they put it back in three. They put they re-released it, you know, for the hundredth anniversary of the Titanic in theaters and 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 you know you can watch the movie in 3D now apparently but. There's that dramatic CGI of the Titanic sinking, you know, from the movie itself. Very, very, I mean, relevant, you know. Yeah, I still think that's that. Is that still the number one grossing movie of all time? Or has it been surpassed? I have no idea. I don't know. And so now it's cutting away from the film clip to, and it says Titanic, 100 years anniversary. What a better thing to mark in a Christian church. I mean, you know, you know, the Christ crucifixion and you know, resurrection, you know, bodily resurrection from the grave. I mean, yeah, you know, you, you weigh out which is more important, the Titanic or Jesus. Go with Titanic, yeah, in a Christian church. Makes perfect sense to me. Welcome to Destiny, where we're going to learn about the Titanic over the next month or so. And uh, I just want to say a special thank you to a number of people today. Look at all you pulling out your cameras. <clears throat> I had a, uh, a few really close friends be honest with me before uh, the service, and they assured me that I look like an idiot. God bless you all. <laughs> Hopefully you got your uh, orange on your way in and your name tag. And uh, I want to kind of walk you through what all is going to take place today. But first, Again, keep in mind, this is being preached by a man dressed in a naval officer type uniform. So I want to say a great big thank you. Did you see the seven? And did you notice? He said for the next month or so, we're going to be learning about the Titanic. 
Story of the Titanic, by the way, does not appear anywhere in Scripture. I I checked before the program. In fact, I you know I went through, just briefly scanned, you know, and and even used the aid of a computer assisted Bible, you know, to you know a computer Bible to you know, help me with the search. I'm I'm 100% certain the story of the Titanic appears nowhere in the Bible. Days of Destiny video. Do you understand? I mean, I, honestly, I watched that multiple times over the last 24 hours and just thought, thank God for a church family that has such a heart to make a difference in so many people's lives. And so I just want to ask you, come on, let's give the risen King Jesus and the body of Christ a celebration of praise and appreciation. Terrific. Oh, yeah. That's every, the obligatory, hey, way to go, Jesus. You're, you're risen King. Well, let's give everybody, everybody give Jesus a round of applause. Way to go, Jesus. Wow, that was quite a trick. Yeah. Okay, we got better things to talk about now. Thanks. Thanks, Jesus. And, you know, I just want to make sure we give you the obligatory nod. Hey, thanks for raising again, you know, on Easter Sunday. Uh, now let's talk about Titanic. Yesterday morning, uh, we had well over a thousand, really an estimated 2,000 people on this campus for our community event. It was terrific. And uh, so many people worked so hard to make all of these things happen. But one thing I want to say right up front, uh, as I'm standing here on the, the bow of a ship, is that what this is called? The bow of the ship. Am I port? I guess I'm, I'm at the front, so I'm good. Uh, but I want to say just right up front, I'm the king of the world. That's what I want to say. That's a that's a funny line. He's the king. Uh, irony there. Uh, yeah, apparently you are because you're going to be you're not going to preach about the king of kings and lord of lords on Easter Sunday. In the world. <laughs> Uh, but I want to say right up front, this is a, a major undertaking. They estimated it to be 700 pounds, but I believe it's more than that. And I want to say a special thank you to Robert Guido and Steve Williams. I know you guys are here with us having uh, worked on this construction. Robert, won't you pop up? I just want to say thanks. Steve, with you there? <clears throat> thanks so much. Yeah, we couldn't have preached on the Titanic without the bow of the ship right there on stage. Thanks for really making this possible. Yeah. You notice the the uh, the construction guys got as much of an applause as Jesus did for you know rising from the dead on Easter. It's terrific, and it really takes everybody working together to make it happen. All right, I'm going to remove my hat because now I mean business. Take those uh, books if you would, pass them down, and uh, if you wouldn't mind, I, I thought I had a bottle of water with me, but I must have put it down somewhere. It's funny, the Titanic and no water. Oh, there we go. Thank you, Mr. Cody. <laughs> take your books. Take out your note card as you pass those down. Please take just a moment and get signed in. We have a great prayer team that works with us to really cover needs that you list there in prayer. And I want us to, uh, to talk today, our first week, of what it is to have God's supreme point of view. Mm, yeah, God's supreme point of view. All right, yeah. What does this have to do with the Titanic or the resurrection? In talking about the Titanic, there are a lot of things that we can discuss, and over these next few weeks, we'll be looking at a lot of different angles. But today, particularly, I want to open with the idea of God's supreme point of view. And we're going to be looking at individuals that were on the boat today. We're going to be talking about the captain, uh, hence the... So we can figure out God's supreme point of view by looking at the historical people who were on the Titanic. 
is there anything wrong with the Bible? I mean, is it, you know, how is it that you decided that we can learn God's supreme point of view more clearly by looking at the people from the Titanic than looking at any biblical texts? Uh, the outfit. Next week we'll be talking about the unsinkable Molly. Uh, you will not believe the outfit I'll be wearing next week. When you I can hardly wait. Come to church will be, be quite interesting. <laughs> God's supreme point of view. And I want you to think about this as we get started. Your perspective and your potential have a very synonymous relationship. Really? Wow. Yeah, okay. You got a Bible verse that says that? Your perspective and your potential. In fact, it was Henry Ford that said... Um, Henry Ford, by the way, was not one of the 12 disciples. Just saying. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And what he's saying is your perspective either locks or unlocks your potential. And this is why... Mm, yeah, wow, that's profound um, and not even remotely biblical. It's so important that we get God's supreme point of view. About and we're going to get that from Henry Ford and from the captain of the Titanic. About life, because it unlocks so much for us in our destiny, in our future, in our lives, in our family, in our legacy. And so in the course of these weeks, we want to look at some individuals who actually boarded the Titanic. Hold up your card. If you got a card as you came in, you have someone's name on there. And uh, what we're going to do is pre uh, present to you the way to determine uh, if you are a survivor. One out of three survived in the uh, Titanic uh, devastation that took place. How many of the folks at that church are going to survive the Day of Judgment? I'm curious. We're going to unveil this next week. And the reason we're going to unveil this next week is because we want you to think for a week of whether or not you lived or died. I mean, we need to know this, right? Uh, the so apparently, this imagine yourself on the Titanic. Even though he's on the bow of the ship preaching t at you, you know, so you got to imagine that somehow you're part of this interactive experience, you know, and and now you're on, you're, you've got somebody who was actually on the Titanic, who you, whose name you're carrying around for a week, and you get to to learn whether they died or survived. You know what's funny? Jesus died, and he bodily rose again from the grave on the third day. That's what Easter Sunday is all about. <laughs> I am in pain. Truth is, uh, we really believe that people's lives will be better if they partner together in the body of Christ. And so we want to encourage you to come back next week and get the next week of this focus. And at that time, we'll be unveiling whether people lived or died according to names. The truth is, 100 years ago, this really happened. This is not a stage set with... Uh, characters that we're talking about. These are real lives, real people who actually boarded the ship. It's a true story all about real people who were in awe of this very amazing ship. Still smell the fresh paint. The china had never been used. The sheets had never been slept in. <laughs> Now cut to another Titanic movie clip. Titanic was called the Ship of Dreams. Oh, well, maybe that's why they're preaching about it. The Ship of Dreams sank. It's sitting at the bottom of the Atlantic. And it was. It really was. And then it turned into a nightmare, yes.
Kind of sad that uh, he couldn't figure out that Jesus is more important than Titanic as far as historical events, you know, roughly around this time of year. They say is unsinkable. It sir. is unsinkable. Sir. God himself could not sink sir. this ship. We have to chip. And yet he did. Your baggage to the main terminal, it's round that way, sir. I put my faith in you, good sir. Now, can you see my man? Oh, yes, sir. It's my pleasure, sir, if I can do... Just so you know, the, the actors in the movie Titanic are not reenacting a biblical story. Just in case you were confused, because I understand this is part of a sermon at a Christian church. Anything at all. Oh, uh, yes. All. Right. All the trunks from that car there... 12 from here, and the safe. It's incredible to think about this 100 years ago. How many of you here have ever been on a cruise ship? Can I just see your huge boat? Yeah, you know, on Easter, I like to shoot way past 100 years ago. I like to shoot all the way back to 2,000 years ago. You know, the empty tomb. I mean, th- I mean, that's even a bigger miracle if the Titanic had gone all the way to the bottom and then miraculously floated back up and then showed up in, in New York C- City, you know? <sighs> uh, if you think about what this could have been like a hundred years ago, just the awesomeness of this perspective of this boat and, and re- the reality that 705 people who boarded this ship would survive, 1,523 would not survive. And today I want to just address a little bit with you about Captain E.J. Smith and share with you some historical things that I discovered. I started to research him just a little bit so that I could integrate this. And, and to be honest with you, once I started digging historically, then the movie meant a whole, it was a whole other level of understanding. There are little things in the movie that are very historically accurate that you would not know unless you discovered this. So one of those things that I thought was very interesting and, and almost captivating was the fact that Captain Smith had actually purposed retirement prior to the Titanic. You don't say. Wow, that's quite an, in, an informative historical factoid. Do you know that um, Jesus Christ, historical note here, that uh, he was actually betrayed by one of his disciples. No kidding. You know, And on the, the, the night before... Uh, he was crucified. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples, praying, and so, uh, and you know, he even prayed, "Father, you know, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me." You know, just saying, you know, you know, you, you want to, we can do a tit for tat historical factoid thing if you'd like. Um, I'll talk about Jesus. You can talk about the Titanic. Deal. He was ready to retire, and was was he was not taking any further voyages. But a group of millionaires gathered together in New York, and they began to discuss with the captain uh, that if he would just take one more voyage on this unsinkable ship, it would increase his level of success. Very successful man. It would increase his level of success and his fame. Well, yeah, he's famous now. And I thought about this as I pondered kind of the the storyline, and and the next clip we'll see in a few moments, you'll hear them specifically say, wouldn't you like to retire with a bang, even pushing him while on the voyage. But I thought about this as I realized... You know, Jesus, it's really interesting in the Gospel of Matthew, another historical factoid here, I mean, while he's sharing these historical things... Let me give you another historical one. Jesus, you know, he asked his disciples one day, you know, who do people say that I am? 
And, uh, you know, some said, well, you know, some say John the Baptist, others say you're Elijah. And, and, and the Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? And the apostle Peter, this, this, he, he was a disciple of Jesus. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. No kidding. That, and you know what Jesus said? He said, you know, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven has revealed this to you. And, uh, you know, and, and on this confession, on the, I'm, you know, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And in, you know, he, he did, you know, and Christians for millennia have proclaiming Christ Jesus as, the Son of God, you know, from eternity, crucified for our sins and resurrected from the grave on, on the third day. You know, it, it, you know, just, you know, a little historical fact. And when Jesus told them that he was going to, you know, go to uh, Jerusalem and be killed and crucified, Peter said, no way, Lord, no way. This will never happen to you. And you know what Jesus said to him? Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. No kidding. I, you know, G, you know, Peter you know, had hope for fame for Jesus, too. And the idea of Jesus being crucified and killed, well, that's infamous, not, not famous. And so, you know, okay, all right. Mark chapter 8, verse 36 really addresses such a thing. It says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Luke 9, 25 says it this way. What does it profit a man to gain the world and lose or forfeit himself? And the truth is we can easily get lost pursuing uh, all the things, the accolades that the world has to offer if we're not, yeah, sure, not yeah. careful. And here's Captain Smith, one of the most successful and experienced captains of his day. What was it that made this success? I mean, you think about this because we really want to try and get into his mind okay. what was going on. But what was it that made this experienced captain take a fully loaded ship at high speed through these iceberg mines in the course of time. I mean, sure. You know, the funny thing was, um, yeah, um, the entire voyage, it wasn't like they were maneuvering through icebergs the whole way. There, they, there was a ice warnings. Surely he knew better. And this particular clip might give us just a little bit of insight of historically why. Yeah, okay. No, I don't see the need. We are making excellent time. The Preston is the size of Titanic. Now I want to marvel at her speed. We must give them something new to print. This maiden voyage of Titanic must make headlines. Mr. Ismay, I would prefer not to push the engines until they've been properly run in. Of course, I'm just a passenger. I leave it to your good offices to decide what's best. Glorious end to your final crossing if we were to get into New York on Tuesday night and surprise them all. Make the morning papers. Retire with a bang, AEJ. Eh, I never even noticed that he was talking about retirement until I began to discover historically what was going on. And this is your blank. I want you to fill this in if you would. Success is never satisfied. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, that's deep. Success. So glad we learned that from the. Historical cautionary tale known as the Titanic. Success is never satisfied. I really believe there are three levels of life. I think we all start out in a place of survival. Three. He. This. By the way, important words there. I think there are three levels of life. So at this point, whatever he's going to say, these three things, they're not found in the Bible. This is just in the mind of this guy here. Um. So, like the bologna sandwich guy. Yeah. He's done a little bit of a better job of at least proof texting some of the, his ideas here, but he's not really actually teaching the biblical texts at all. We move from survival to a place of success mm. if we're able to gain success in life. 
Right. That makes perfect sense. Like, uh-huh. But if we stop at having gone from survival to success, then it's incredibly empty, ultimately frustrating, and uh, can be almost maddening. Can I guess what the next one is? Is it significance? Would it be Rick Warren's category? Another level of life beyond success. It's a place called significance. Yeah, saw that and one I think coming. That we saw that one coming, yeah. <laughs> yeah, again, can you show me um, where all these, you know, this, this, these three steps, uh, uh, survival, success, and significance? It sounds a lot like something derived from Maslow's hierarchy of needs, not anything derived from a clear exposition of a biblical passage. You need to understand today is really about recognizing the purposes of God and how to walk that out in our own personal lives. Uh-huh, yeah. And recognizing we're talking about God's supreme point of view. I'm sure you are. Um, if we're really talking about God's supreme point of view, don't you think we would be wise to really dig in deep into God's Word and to you know, rigorously study the full counsel of the Word of God so we get a really good idea of the supreme whatevers of how God thinks, you know? In life in general, not maybe what we can accomplish. Remember, God's supreme point of view is supreme. God's point of view is supreme. Can, can yeah, I'm, I'm sure it is. That's just a weird abstraction. Can you give me a biblical text here, please? We just take a vote. How many believe God's point of view is supreme? Oh, well, now we're going to vote on this. Yeah, that's how we decide truth. <laughs> I mean, let's just... let's. Let's take a moment and recognize his, his point of view is supreme because we know that because professional men built the Titanic while amateurs built the ark. I would say God. What? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, here we go again. Evil Knievel could not jump that chasm of logic there. Wow. God's supreme point of view prevails when we evaluate the evidence. And many times it's not until we're face-to-face -face with our temporal nature that we're really willing to surrender to what God's supreme point of view is. Uh -huh. You were handed out an orange. How am I supposed to surrender to it? Isn't that, is, isn't that what the word Islam means, surrender, submit? Uh, how am I supposed to uh, surrender and submit, do the Islam thing to the supreme point of view of God if I'm not even know, I, I don't even know what it is? You're not actually preaching a biblical text here. She came in, why don't you take your orange? Hope you didn't eat that already. That is not ammunition for you to throw at your captain today. Just look at your neighbor holding your orange and say, Orange, you glad you came to church today. Uh. Now tell him, you're fruity. Uh. I'm sorry, is this more than appealing? I just can't stop once he gets started. It happens. That orange, how much is that orange worth? I don't know, buck fifty at Walmart. I want to submit to you something. That orange value depends on the circumstances of your life. So now you're going to make a sermon point from the value of an orange. By the way, an orange is worth what anyone will pay for it. You know, this is plain and simple. <laughs> Um, you know, if all of a sudden there, the supply of oranges went down and people were willing to pay 10 bucks per orange, that would be how much they're worth. And when we start thinking about God's supreme point of view and God's perspective. Yeah, let's think about God's supreme point of view mm, and his perspective. Mm, yeah, I'm, uh, how am I supposed to think about it without any clear revelation as to what it is? Then 
God's not moved by the circumstances in terms of his perspective. He has God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But we are moved depending on the circumstances that we're in. And I thought it was really interesting. Eleven millionaires went down on the Titanic. Titanic, And we'll look at more of a demographic breakdown of this. In You know, would you like me to consult William Tapley to see if there's any spiritual significance to the number of millionaires that went down on Titanic? I'm sure he could give us the uh, eschatological numerical significance regarding this. Again, what does this have to do with the crucified and risen Savior? It's Easter Sunday. Weeks to come, we're going to see some third-class passengers in Scripture. We're going to see some first-class passengers in Scripture. There were no first or third-class passengers from the Titanic mentioned in Scripture. Yeah, the, the, the canon was closed long before the Industrial Age. And see how they responded to the captain of their ship in the course of, of their lives and learn a lot of lessons from that. But 11 millionaires went down on the Titanic. Major. By the way, the uh, number 11, I remember William Tapley saying that that's an evil number. I, in fact, Keith Kraft said that was the number of the Mariachi Trench. By the way, the Titanic is not sitting at the bottom of the Mariachi Trench. I just want everybody to know that. Arthur Puchin survived, one of, the, one of the millionaires. He actually survived. And he later described that when the boat was sinking, that he went to his cabin and in his security box, there was $300,000. And he said, I grabbed free oranges instead of $300,000. Wow, that, yeah, that's deep. And it really just... Again, this is an Easter Sunday sermon preached by a man wearing a naval suit, um, you know, naval officer type costume. Stood out to me. In fact, he specifically quoted later saying, the money seemed like a mockery at that time. I picked up three oranges instead actually ran an inflation calculator because three oranges at $300,000, that's $100,000 an orange. So the orange you're holding in your hand was worth $100,000 a hundred years ago. But the reality is when you run an inflation calculator, how many of you know $100,000 a hundred years ago is worth a whole lot more money now? And in fact... I'm glad you took the time to calculate this for us. I'm sure it'll help us understand Jesus better. The inflation cal uh, calculator would show that $300,000 then is $6.8 million now. It's a lot. Yet he did not reach for the money. How many know money will never satisfy your life? It helps you pay the bills and helps you accomplish the things you need to accomplish. But we're talking about God's point of view. And when we come face to face. Yeah, again, how am I supposed to know God's point of view again without any clear revelation as to what that is? Am I supposed to just think about it and it'll come to me? Or maybe you can preach about it from what God's revealed in his word, you know? face with our temporal nature. I'm just going to tell you, I've seen a lot of people start venturing in and voyaging in to great places of success in their life, and they just lose complete perspective. Have you ever done that? Anybody here? You ever just lost perspective? Yeah, I think you've done that there, dude, because um, you're preaching about the Titanic on Easter. This is the epitome of what it means to lose perspective. Perspective. And we have to return and get the right perspective if we're really going to truly experience life the way God intends us to experience life. Yeah, like that's the goal. We need to experience life the way God intends us to. Yeah, there we go. That life experience stuff. Yeah. Jesus came to solve that problem. And the reality is, when we talk about God's point of view, perhaps there's nothing more different from man's point of view uh, than when we talk about the idea of death. And that's where I want us to land today.
As we're going to land on death. On Easter Sunday, we're going to land on death, not the resurrection. Oh, man. We evaluate this. It's really interesting, but God revealed something of his view of death from his supreme point of view. And- wow, I can hardly wait. We finally get a, a, at least a glimpse into God's supreme point of view. Psalms 116, verse 15. And it says, a precious in single verse. In the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. You know, um, the Bible describes false teachers as waterless rain clouds. I mean, you know, here we are more than halfway through an Easter sermon, and here we've got this, you know, mist of a verse that's supposed to help us understand God's supreme point of view. Yeah, one sentence, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Yeah, that's some insight into the supreme whatever of God's will. Now, it's hard to imagine that death could be precious. But I I read this this story, and I thought it was really interesting, very much applies to this. There was a young boy, and he went to his grandmother's house. As he went to his grandmother's house, he he was playing and climbing the tree. and, And as he climbed the tree, he discovered this nest. And in this nest, there were these beautiful blue eggs. And he knew enough uh, not to touch the eggs. He just marveled at them. And and this was his treasure that he had discovered. And and he was so excited about it. He came down. He told his grandmother. His parents said it was time to go. And he said, Grandma, please uh, watch out for the tree. Watch. I want to come back and see those eggs again. And it was a few weeks before he could come back. When he came back, guess what had happened? He, He ran out immediately. He climbed the tree. He looked in the nest. And there were the eggs all broken into shell pieces. And he cried real tears as he climbed down the tree and he went to his grandmother and he said, my treasure, it's gone. And she said, your treasure's not gone, your treasure is greater. Because in those eggs were birds that have hatched and now if you'll listen, you'll hear them singing in the trees. Oh yeah, hallmark moment. Oh, this is so precious. And I just thought it speaks so much of moving from this life to the next. How many of you know life's not gone, life's greater? And we move into this mm, yeah, okay. place of, of eternal worship and connection with God, the way we were originally designed. It's just so incredible when we stop and think about it. Yeah, could you maybe teach that from the Bible? You know, rather than you know, coming up with your precious moments, Hallmark, Robin Egg story, um, you could, you know, maybe get on that iPad of yours and open up a Bible app or something and, you know, read this stuff from, you know, the text of Scripture. God's point of view in all of this. And Jesus actually surrendered in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm, Okay. So, all right. To God's supreme point of view. Do you remember the story? He's praying. Okay, good. We We might get something that sounds even remotely like an Easter story. And he says... It was about this very issue. God, I don't want to do this. You understand, sometimes there are things we need to walk through that we don't necessarily want to walk through. So now we're allegorizing Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane to our life. Boy, that misses the point, doesn't it? God, I don't want to do this, but nevertheless, not my will, but what did he say? Your will be done, Lord. What was he saying? Here's my point of view, God, but I surrender to... Your supreme point of view. You are aware that the next day he was crucified for the sins of the world. And I believe Jesus literally died to himself in the garden. 
So he died before he... You believe that he died to himself in the garden. You got a verse that says that? I mean, yeah, I'm glad you believe it, but you're not called to tell us what you believe. You're you're called to teach what God's Word has revealed. I don't recall any passages in Scripture that that say that on the day that Jesus prayed in the garden that he died to himself. Um, that would basically make it so that Jesus was sinful and he needed to do the right things in order to overcome his sin. Because if he needed to die for himself, well, then he was self-focused up until that point in his life. Don't you think that would be the logical conclusion of your bizarre belief? He actually died on the cross. He had to die to himself, and then he was willing to die on the cross so that we could have life. And could you explain more of that, please? Let's point this out to you because it is important that Psalms 116 verse 15 says, Precious is the death of his saints. Precious is the death of his saints. Not precious is death. You know what's weird is that we are we are literally two thirds of the way through the sermon, and he hasn't said anything yet. I mean, seriously, like nothing. Precious is the death of. Say it with me, his saints, his people. There's nothing precious about death, unless we recognize Jesus is the doorway to death that takes us to life. When we walk through that into a place of eternal life. You think you could demonstrate that from a clear passage of Scripture, please? Under the Lord. This is really what this weekend... Oh, the keyboardist has just sat behind his um, synthesizer. I detect sappy music coming. It's all about, isn't it? Jesus is alive. I saw Twitter was going wild this morning. Everybody woke up. He's, he's not in the grave. He's alive. Yeah, I mean, the folks on Twitter had more sense <laughs> than you do, uh, because at least they're talking about Jesus' resurrection on Twitter. You're not doing it. And uh, this is what this weekend is all about. Friday, it was just... Really, if that's what the weekend is all about, then why are you preaching Titanic instead of that? Solemn. I don't know if you really thought about what Good Friday was all about, but it would have been a great day to watch the passion of the Christ and recognize what Jesus suffered. Cue sappy music. Tragic and painful death. My, my girls ages 10 and 11, we've been talking about when's the right time to watch that. And they're coming close to that age, but they're not quite there. And both of them have said, Daddy, I don't want to watch that. And I just have to tell you in my heart, <clears throat> as their daddy, I don't want them to either. Because they're going to hate it, but they're going to need it. Okay, we're we're getting dangerously close to heading towards uh, an emotionally manipulative uh, gospel-y kind of moment during this Titanic sermon. I'm glad that, you know, if, if he continues down this path, he may voyage into, you know, something that has to do with Jesus. Um, I wasn't sure if we were going to get to that destination. I'm still not convinced, but he's he's turned the ship around and... You know, and that we're heading towards the destination of Jesus somehow. So I'm going to tell you, I hated it, but I needed it. Because what Jesus went through to make a way so that I could be off of drugs and living my life free in Christ and seeing people in this church who, who some have just grown up in church and, 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 and today they're liberated from the freedom of bondage of religion, which is every bit as much bondage as the other person in our church I spoke with this last... Yeah, the irony here is that this is a religion of his own making. And um, uh, he's not really preaching biblical Christianity because he's not preaching the biblical text. 
I'm glad Jesus got an honorable mention there in his bloody sacrifice and sufferings and death for our sins. I'm glad it got something of a mention here. This week had been in prison for cooking meth and now years later, completely free. Come on, I believe Jesus is alive and he has the power to set us free from any bondage in our lives, no matter what it may be. Well, he, this, most certainly he is alive. It's a historical fact, the one you should have been preaching about this entire sermon. But we have to be willing to surrender to God's supreme point of view. Uh, I don't even know what that means. I mean, I've been watching the whole sermon and dissecting it. I don't even know what you're talking about. That's the key. Well, great. Can you show me from the biblical text what that is so I know how I need to submit to it? Two things I want to ask you today. Oh, boy. One, have you made Jesus Lord of your life? What does it mean? To do that, how do I do such a thing? And two, are you connected and committed to the bride of Christ so that you are working with the church to leave the world a better place? Uh, oh man, that's not the Great Commission, that's the purpose driven um, thing. Oh boy, because Jesus said it all lands on those two things love, no, he didn't, God, and love others. Love God and love others is the summary of the Mosaic Law. That's the thing that condemns us. And he gave us the avenue through which to do this. Really? And even as we watched Seven Days of Destiny, I just... Seven Days of Destiny. It sounds really narcissistic. Man, that doesn't happen because we have a great staff, though we have a great staff. That happens because we have a hungry people who want to make a difference, and they get engaged, and they get involved. There were people here volunteering uh, earlier than 8 o'clock yesterday morning that were also here this morning earlier than 8 o'clock volunteering because we as a church family want to make a difference. So the two questions, is Jesus Lord of your life, and are you connected and committed to a church where you're really working to leave the world a better place? Come on, let's just... Bow our heads. <laughs> oh, my. Close our eyes. Open our hearts. The, the, <laughs> the passages about false teachers leaving people shipwrecked in their faith comes to mind right now. Pun intended. Lord, I thank you. No, we're done. <laughs> oh, man. So that was contestant number four um, for our worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest. Uh, Pastor Nessent from uh, Destiny Christian Church in Oklahoma. Man, that was bad. Wow. Um, sad that, uh, you know, when you put the two historical events on the scale... 100-year anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic on this side of the scale... The death, burial, and bodily resurrection from the grave of Jesus Christ on this side of the scale, the thing that came out weightier, the more important thing to preach about, was the Titanic. Yeah, the uh, the captain of the Titanic got more um, play than Jesus did on that Easter sermon. There was more... Uh, movie clips from the movie Titanic than there were biblical texts. If you were just laid out time time wise, I think total total count was three sentences from the Bible ripped out of context, and there were three, you know, maybe even four full blown movie clips from the movie Titanic 
that you know where you you were to span. We learn more about the Titanic than we learned about the Bible, Christ, Jesus, what He's done for us. There's nothing Christian about this sermon. Not one thing in this sermon is really even Christian. And you know, uh, you know, a, a hat a hat tip nod to uh, the movie, The Passion of the Christ. That doesn't even count. This is ridiculous. This is utterly ridiculous. Uh, is are, are these churches purposely trying to destroy and kill the body of Christ? If I, I ask the question because that's what they seem to be succeeding at doing. Do you think anybody left that that church Sunday morning with this uh, with a better understanding of God, who He is, what He's done? Or Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done? Not at all. I mean, th- in fact, they may have left with, like, less knowledge, you know. Got to bone up on that, you know, Titanic trivia, you know, so that you can, you know, maybe, you know, uh, do better at Trivial Pursuit when you get together with your neighbors on Friday night, you know. Wow. Absolutely pathetic and blasphemous. <sighs> Sad. Absolutely. Tragically. Sad. Again, compare what you're hearing in these sermons to all of the sermons that I played last week. Compare it. The difference is night and day. The difference is the difference between darkness and light, good and evil, black and white, satanic versus Christian. That's really the distinction here. Because it's Satan who wants us to take our eyes off of Christ, to not know what he's taught in his word, and at the end of the day become biblically illiterate. That's the end result of that kind of preaching. And it really, really does upset me and makes me fear for these people on Judgment Day. All right, well, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. And if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>